It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 129, King Solomon and Israel's Economic Collapse. Something significant occurred between the reign of Solomon when it stated the people enjoyed great prosperity, every man owning his own fig tree or vine. And 1 Kings 12.4, when Solomon's son Rehoboam is confronted with these words, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. If we take this literally, Solomon cracked the whip on his own people at the very end of his reign. In fact, he probably increased his daily allotment and provisions from each tribe until it became unreasonable. To sustain all that crazy provision he had for his harem and his wives, he required incredible provisions. It is amazing the words Josephus used to describe Solomon, that he was mad for foreign women. Later he said they deluded his mind. This falling from grace impacted his entire country as idol worship invaded the land. Even the economy of his nation became impacted when the blessing of God gradually left Israel due to his sin of its leader. In this episode, we cover the economic collapse that occurs at this time in Israel. First, let's discuss why the demands upon the people could have become so great. There was outrageous quantities of gold and silver abundant all over the countryside. Solomon founded cities and built palaces and expanded the walls of the city. If there was outrageous wealth, why are the people saying Solomon gave them a heavy yoke? Most believe the answer is economic. Many scholars believe the economic answer is a single word, inflation. So let's discuss basic, basic economics. Basic, basic economics is a simple formula of supply and demand. Let's talk silver. What if the amount of silver today was 10 times the actual amount of silver available in the world today, in its world circulation? This would cause a few things to happen. First, the price of silver would drop significantly, possibly due to a tenth of its value today or less because it's not as rare anymore. In addition, the trade-in value compared to other goods would change. Silver is a lot cheaper than gold today because of the quantity of it. This would change as well. It would require even more, significantly more quantities of silver to trade in for gold. While Solomon imported absurd quantities of precious metals into his country, he would in turn pay for items with these precious metals. Each time he added to the circulation of precious metals in their trade network, he actually devalued these precious metals compared to other items that they were traded for. An historical case study is Philip II of Spain in the 1500s AD Europe. This is the same 
Philip II, that failed to conquer England with his Spanish armada. He started his reign as King of Spain, Austria, and huge portions of Catholic Europe. In addition, he started his reign with serious debt, but his inflows of capital was enough to offset this debt, and things really began to change when he started importing significant quantities of precious metals from South America, specifically silver. In fact, the silver mines were so staggering, he was operating with great success financially until he found himself at war with the Netherlands and later with England. He was doing fine for a while until inflation struck Europe and especially his economy. King Philip imported massive quantities of silver, much like Solomon, and he began to use them to pay for his war debts and his debt. Each time he paid in silver, he diluted the market with additional quantities of silver, which drove the price down each time a fraction lower. The next year, when the huge armadas showed up carrying silver, and as they arrived in Lisbon, he found his trade partners were not willing to pay as much for silver, for it was not as uncommon or as valuable as before. King Philip had imported too much too quickly, and in fact, he did what he did wrong was spend his money on his debts and wars and outside suppliers and not build up his own economy and industry. In the end, King Philip enriched the rest of the world around him and nosedived the silver market, making his leading income product, silver, severely undervalued. When it states silver was as common as any other object in Solomon's day, there is a strong indication that Solomon did the same thing. He destroyed his market for the precious metal silver. There is no doubt he did the same thing for gold, assuming he spent it. In addition, what about the other items in the kingdom? What could he do once his precious metal reserves fell in value? He lost his spending power, and all that he considered important began to lose value. Isn't it interesting how greed ends up destroying the economic system that Solomon found glory in? Those gold shields in his palace were not worth a fraction of what they used to be worth by the end of his reign. So let's arrive at the current state. Solomon has established a system where huge quantities of foodstuffs were brought to him daily for his harem and palace. At some point, the people are fine with this, probably because they make up the difference with huge quantities of trade goods, gold and silver, but when the precious metal price nosedives, they're left with bare-knuckle farming and combine this with the blessing of God that is leaving Israel and the harvest are not as plentiful because of Solomon's sin, the farming surpluses are coming to an end. But does Solomon relent and ask for less from his people? No. In fact, it appears he may have asked for more, causing the tribes to dip into their cash or gold reserves to buy foodstuffs for Solomon's harem and palace. Interesting how Solomon is experiencing such nasty consequences at this point, and if his wives have made him mad and deluded his mind, these wives need pleasing, and who cares about the tribes, right? His decision to keep the requirements for each of the tribes probably resulted in the statement from the beginning calling Solomon's treatment of them as harsh treatment and a heavy yoke. Just as Philip II drove down the price of silver, Solomon created an inflation that hurt his country. 
So let's go a bit further and discuss inflation and give another historical example. Here is a definition of the word inflation. A general increase in prices and fall in the purchasing value of money. Some modern economic theories state a healthy inflation rate of 3% can be healthy, but much higher than this can begin to destroy an economy. One of the best examples I can give is Weimar Germany prior to the rise of the Nazis in 1930s Germany. Now the example I'm going to give is actually hyperinflation. Let me explain hyperinflation. I found a definition of hyperinflation. One economist put it at 50% currency inflation within a month. That's crazy. So think to yourself, could this actually really happen anywhere in the world? It actually has many times, and in Germany in the days of the Weimar Republic after World War I. Here's an example. The Great Depression was wrecking havoc throughout the world, and Germany was being impacted. Germany had incredible debt from World War I, and when it started paying its gold reserves to the Allies, its currency collapsed. Now this incredible debt was actually the reparations payments that they had to pay to the Allies after the Treaty of Versailles. When it took just a small amount of money to buy bread after World War I, it became more and more expensive every day just to buy a loaf of bread. It got so bad the government of Weimar Germany decided to do something that historically hasn't worked in world history. They printed more money. The printing of more money backfired. The price of bread only increased and increased until it took thousands and thousands of marks just to feed oneself in a day. It was ridiculous as the economy of Germany collapsed in spectacular fashion. Here is some data related to hyperinflation of Germany during the Great Depression. In 1922, a loaf of bread cost 163 marks. By September 1923, this figure had reached 1.5 million marks, and at the peak of hyperinflation, November 1923, a loaf of bread cost 200 billion marks. You'll find a picture for this podcast episode, a man with a wheelbarrow full of German marks that he was apparently going to use at the grocery store to feed his family. The hyperinflation was finally ended when the Allies relented on the reparations demands, and the German currency was revalued, which means they did something like drop three commas on their currency. Something like this they've done in Mexico before. Not three commas, but they've dropped a comma or two before. This plan actually worked, and it showed how nations can assist others in need and help restore some form of stability to economies, and it proved an example how to extricate an economy from disaster. Well, Solomon didn't print money. He just imported precious metals until it diluted his economy, for economies at this time traded on practical like foodstuffs and precious metals like gold and silver and gems. Coinage will come later with physical evidence dating from 700 to 600 BC Greece, Lydia, and even India. Solomon was gifted with wisdom, and he could have solved the problem in front of him, but when the time was required to exercise wisdom of economics and national economies and recover his deflated economy, or inflated economy, his mind was maddened and deluded with foreign women, and he failed to implement measures and stop gaps to help his people and slow down inflation and economic collapse. 
So the blessing of God upon Israel included material possessions and prosperity for the nation, but God has pulled back his blessing and was going to judge Israel. Enemies will be rising up against Israel, and there will be a breaking away of the northern tribes in the future, for it was prophesied, and the deluded mind of Solomon didn't seem to argue or intercede on behalf of his people. Soon Israel will be torn in two, and for a breaking away to occur, there must be widespread discontent, and this occurs when the economy collapses with rapid inflation and high taxation upon the peoples. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's make this practical and compare this to today or businesses and family finances and our economies. Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns a people. In the case of Solomon, Israel experienced an economic downturn which grew into large proportions. So what is an economic downturn? It's basically a decline in an economy. So what do leaders of companies and governments do in a time of economic downturn? They should review and reevaluate their decisions and business practices. Business cycles are okay. It's natural. The corporate perspective that there has to be growth every single quarter and any decline in sales or business is unacceptable. This is a false perspective. Seasons are normal. In fact, Jesus said this in John 15. I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be more fruitful. God the Father cuts the part of the vine that does not bear fruit, and he prunes the part of the vine that will bear fruit. This can occur in business and economics as well. This is part of pruning and cutting out the fat, per se, in corporate America. An economic downturn is a wake-up call, a call to repent and pray and seek God in areas that we can improve our business and economy and even personal finances. I found something interesting about Solomon when I considered it. Solomon grew in such astounding wealth that I believe his donations to the temple or Levitical sacrifices only accounted for a tiny fraction, maybe just a few percent of his income far below the 10% tithe. It's interesting to consider the fact that Solomon stopped giving the equivalent of the tithe to the Lord. And in turn, a severe economic downturn struck his economy. His agreement with greed accelerated judgment of his economy. Another thing to consider is that Solomon was judged by God and that he would lose the kingdom, well, most of it, after his death. He didn't repent at all. In addition, this judgment didn't mention the drift of the economy. This drift and in inflation and economic downturn was an unwritten or stated judgment. All a part of the plan to remove the northern tribes. This economic downturn was a precursor of worse things to come. Business cycles are okay, but long term there should be growth. So if you're experiencing a decline in your economy or business or even personal finances, go to God in prayer and consider John 15 in the application of business. Your business is the true vine and your father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in your business that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. 
In the case of the branch that's cut off, sometimes there are things that we do or our family does or commitments we have, even time we spent or business practices or divisions that need to be ceased. In the case of successful areas of our life, God wants to train us and prune us and give us his character and guide us so that we grow just right in his ways. Business and economies can be the same way. If we surrender to God and do his will, he will guide our staff, our teams, divisions, and align them and structure them to the best ways possible to achieve his means and to bear much fruit. Solomon failed to recognize the decline in his economy as a call to prayer and repentance. Like Solomon, we cannot fail to recognize that economic downturns are a wake-up call and called repentance and prayer, and that readjustments are required and necessary to grow going forward. May God give us wisdom to recognize these times in our personal finances and businesses and make the necessary changes required for growth and God's blessing. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you're in the Seattle area, in the current or later when you listen to this podcast, please email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.